Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know at our podcast, we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalized people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Hey y'all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we're recording Asian Bitches Down Under in the same room. Helen, what's up? Yeah. I'm here at my place. I was just looking at the door because I saw someone was at the door anyway. Well, that's freaky. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. A lot of construction's happening around my house. Yeah. So we're up in Helen's place in the Central Coast because um, it's Helen's birthday and I'm spending some time with my sister. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, um, and we just had lunch. Of what do we have? What's we it called? Zhongzi. Zhongzi, yeah, which is a Taiwanese traditional rice parcel. Rice parcel. Yeah, people call it rice dumplings, but it's not I a think dumpling. Dumpling, this word is so overused and misused. Yeah, um, it's just it's a it's rice, parcel, rice parcel, which is yeah. basically it's like a triangular, so a triangle prism. Wrapped in like banana leaves, is it? Bamboo leaves. Bamboo <laughs> leaves, yeah. And inside there's like rice and mushrooms and egg. Yeah. Yeah. Pork. Yeah, it's really delicious. Yeah, so um, should we start talking about what we want to talk about today? So um, uh, this week has been a lot of controversial news about um, various women getting like backlash over oh, yeah. prioritizing um, their own health. Um, so to speak. And of course, we're talking about Naomi Osaka, who has um, caused a storm for refusing to do a press conference on Sunday after her first round win at the French Open. Um, she refused to do a press conference uh, after her wins, claiming that she was prioritizing her mental health. Um, and she's copped a lot of backlash over it. Um, she's actually left the tournament entirely since then. She was also fined. Mm-hmm. for um fifteen thousand yeah dollars yeah for for refusing to do the press conference what how do you feel about this helen well i think it's it's just fair for her to bring up her mental health well-being if you talk about physical injury we see athletes and sports stars that they withdraw from games from due to their physical injuries i think yeah. it's just the right thing to do if yeah. she chooses not to and i think that she has gone through a lot of things in the past two years you know the Major win uh, was a Grand Slam. I think it was two year, two or three years ago against Serena Williams, mm-hmm. and they, she had people booing her for no reason at her all, you know, by beating Serena Williams, and she's taking the chance to actually step up and saying that she values her mental wealth um, more than the game. You know, yeah, I think initially exactly. she was saying that um, she had anxieties and depression from twenty eighteen, yeah, and going to press conferences you know amplify that anxiety and i know how that feels totally because i don't i, I mean I, i'm sure there are a lot of people that 
hates speaking out in public. Yeah. And especially if you're grueling by the sports journalist, which yeah. the type of people that I really dislike because they ask stupid questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just reading from her Instagram that you can, you know, certainly know how she feels. Yeah. So Helen, why yeah. don't you? She she, um, Naomi Osaka wrote a short kind of official statement on her Instagram. Which um, Helen, why don't you read out the entire in its entirety? Because yeah. it's really really um, eye opening to read what mm-hmm. she says. Yeah. So she says that hey everyone, this isn't the situation I ever imagined or intended when I posted a few days ago. I think ha- now the best thing. For the tournament, the other players, and my well-being is that I withdraw so that everyone can go, get back to focusing on the tennis going on in Paris. I never wanted to be a distraction, and I accept that my timing was not ideal, and my message could have been clear. More importantly, I will never trivialize the mental health or use the term lightly. The truth is that I have suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I have had a really hard time coping with that. Anyone that knows me. Knows that I'm introvert, and anyone that has seen me at the tournament will notice that I am often wearing headphones, as that helps deal my social anxiety. So,、uh, so the tennis press has always been kind to me, and I want to apologize, especially to all the cool journalists who I may have hurt. I'm not a natural public speaker, and get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the、uh, world's media. I get really nervous and find it stressful. To always try to engage and give you the best answers I can. So here in Paris, I was already feeling vulnerable and anxious. So I thought it was best to exercise self-care and skip the press conferences. I announced、uh, preemptively because I do feel like the rules are quite outdated in parts, and I wanted to highlight that. I wrote privately to the tournament and apologizing and saying that I would be more than happy to speak to them after the tournament. As the slams are intense, I'm gonna take some time away from the court now. But when the time is right, I really want to work with the tour to discuss、uh, to discuss ways we can make things better for the players, press, and fans. Anyway, I hope you're doing well and staying safe.、Uh, love you guys. I'll see you when I see you. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's a statement on the Instagram.、Mm, that's so powerful and I so think, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's just very. Directive, yeah, about how she feel and, and what she wants. Prioritizing what, like,、exactly. and also calling out the sort of archaic traditions、mm-hmm. of、um, these, like, really historically quite socially、um, fussled, <laughs>、uh, sort of,、um, yeah, like, Games, you、mm-hmm. know, like they've been on the, the the French Open has been going on forever. Um, she also had like replies from Usain Bolt and Coco Goff and Venus Williams, like saying, you know, Venus Williams、mm-hmm. said, "So proud of you. Take care of yourself and see you back winning soon." Like all really supportive people supporting her actions. Yeah, I think it is really important for her to speak out because we don't really see enough sportsmen's. Yeah, sports persons coming out to talk about mental mental health、yeah. enough because most of the time, like I said before, that they the only time that they will be out of the court or out of the game is that when they have a physical injury. Yeah, and mental well being has been not taken as serious. I think. Yeah, and especially that we see that 
they are just like performers, you know. They're yeah, like musicians exactly. as well. Musicians get nervous when they yeah. get on stage. Yeah, exactly the same yeah, for the but, sports person. Yeah, well. and it's so great to hear how Naomi is brave enough to say, "I get nervous in front of mm-hmm. situations like that." Like yeah. for me, it's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of like someone who's just um, strong enough to put herself out there. Yeah. We need more women like that. We need more human beings like that. Like I don't That's see, true. I don't think any straight male would ever do what she did. Mm-hmm. seriously because they mm-hmm. would just be like they consider that's not a strength so, they consider it's yeah, a sign of weakness yeah or demasculinity mm-hmm. yeah um i think what's more uh, another thing that's more important here is that the we what we see from the response from a lot of sports journalists that i totally hate we see a lot of critiques coming out from some media outlets for example the australian the, the yeah. article that i sent to just yesterday after I read it, I was just like so furious. This, what's his name? Will, Will Swanton. Yeah. <coughs> He's an old white dude. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't give him any airtime, to be honest. Yeah, so he was just calling her so privileged. A princess, princess. Narcissistic. Uppity? Like, how racist? We know not to call women of colour uppity. He called mm-hmm. her uppity. Fucking hell. Like, like, I think that would be a fireable offence if it wasn't for someone, like, with a position of power that he does in the Australian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, you get support and hate over the social media as well. I was reading um, one of my friend's comments that she totally supports Naomi Osaka. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, Chinese comment. Mm. But she also shared uh, a media outlet in Taiwan where... Mm-hmm. Still, a lot of people are very conservative and they don't really, they don't openly talk about mental health, yeah. especially for sports um, persons as well. Yeah. Like they, have, they have been regarded as, oh, they're so strong, they must have gone through so much and they're resilient enough, they shouldn't have such weakness yeah. Yeah. to not attend press conference. Yeah. But I think every sports person would know how annoying the questions will be at the sports conference. Yeah, yeah. As in the the conference after the game. Yeah. Most of the time, it's it's trying to ask you why you lose or how do you yeah. feel about your win. Yeah, yeah. It's just basic as that. It's very shallow yeah. and mature most yeah, of the time. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Swanton did criticize um, Naomi Osaka's decision to not do the press conference because he went through her, her past press conferences, the last one she did, and he basically like he recounted all the questions that she was asked Mm -hmm. and he made the comment that they were none of them were very serious Mm -hmm. and so he was making a judgment and saying why is she so fragile about answering these really simple questions and really kind of um judging her based on his own experience like he's never been in a he's never been a world champion tennis player he's never been a 23 year old mixed race woman in a very competitive sport like he Mm -hmm. has no idea what it's like to do the job that she does and live in the body that she does and to face all the backlash that she does. Like, remember this woman when she won Serena, when she beat Serena Williams a few years ago, she was booed. Mm. Like, what kind of fucking shit does that do to you if, like, you win a major tournament and the crowd actually was says... going against yeah, you? Yeah, was actually, like, now. booing you? Like, that... Uh, yeah, who... Uh, none of us can imagine what that's like uh, other than Naomi herself, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. I actually went back to check out a couple of YouTube clips mm. of um, sports stars being questioned at the press conference. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Some of the questions are just fucking so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you feel about your win? Like, how can yeah. you feel? How much worse do you want them to yeah. generate after exhausting, like, three hours of games? Yeah. To have that mental load yeah. 
to answer your question so you can write about it. Yeah, and I think a lot of sports journalists is taking like is tackling on this is because that they don't have anything to write about it. Now、mm. she's left the game. Yeah, like they have really little to write about it. Yeah, so it's about their own income sources again. Yeah, but if you see a、um, Some of the questions that they ask,、um, apart from games, they ask personal questions、yeah. and ask them about their opinions about other players. Yeah, yeah. It's just something that's not very ethical, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> personal、um, questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I do wonder what it's like to be one of those journalists who sit in those press conferences and、um, what kind of how much creativity and how much poking can you do to get a scoop? Because you want something salacious. There is, you know, politics, social,、um, ethical sort of questions that you need、mm-hmm. to be aware of when you're thinking about how to write about a sports person and what they do. But,、uh, but I, I honestly just think、um, Naomi Osaka is also the the victim in a very like the sporting world, even though it's tennis we're talking about, and、mm-hmm. women tennis players have say like more、um, kind of at least more kudos. Um, or like more weight compared to say like soccer or like AFL, you know, historically,、um, women in tennis have had a, a, a bit more equal equality compared to other sports, you know.、Mm-hmm. But let's not forget that、um, sports journalism, you know, is still an incredibly male-dominated space. Exactly, that's true. Yeah. On that point, I think a lot of questions that they would target specifically for female athletes are quite sexist. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just a, like it's almost the same as those celebrity journalists who ask in the female movie stars to very sexist questions yeah. like, yeah,、um, how do you get your body like that, or how do you balance your career and your life?、Mm. Shit, shit, questions like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly just can't believe that the Australian let a, a, a journalist write the word apri. Like, I can't believe that was published. That, that, that was, was、really、that's so tra- racist. Like、uh, yeah. that's like calling an angry black man an angry black man. Like nobody does that.、Mm-hmm. That's just like so racist. You can just tell yeah. from the age or the the framework of the media integrity that he doesn't have. Yeah, you know the the surrounding, probably the environment overall, the system that he's in. Allows him to do that、yeah. to be published. I know. I mean, even so, it's still behind a fucking paywall. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Anyway,、um, let's. So Helen and I, we're gonna catch up a bit before we talk about other stuff and launch into today's topic of casual sex.、Mm-hmm. Um, so this week we watched some movies, we read some books.、Um, what did I do? I I think I raved about Deborah Levy last week.、Mm-hmm. Um, this week I'm reading Monica Dux's Lapsed. That's for my review book for、mm-hmm. SMH. It's really good. Like it's a good. She she surveys the sort of.、Um, Moral theologians of the last century or so, and weaves in kind of social commentary on what Jesus is to Catholics today, and the segregation of different forms of different、um, types of Christianity in the last few years, and also weaves in her own story of like Catholicism. So she was、mm-hmm. raised as a Catholic, now、yep. she's like deeply sectarian. She has this really funny scene in the book, which starts off the book where like her six-year-old kid daughter.、Um, Is like、um, saying to her, comes out as Catholic and says, "I want to be baptized."、Mm-hmm. And her, both her and her husband are deeply sectarian, so like secular. Sean, yeah, secular.、Totally、yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I started to think how funny it would be if, when I have, if I have a kid, they turn out to be like deeply religious. I would just like be like, "What the fuck." <laughs> 
Yeah, just like if my kid <laughs> only wants to wear dresses, I'll be like, no. <laughs> yeah, but you really can't control your kid, hey? You can't control yeah. your kid. That's, that's I mean, Helen, I, you're yeah. the biggest feminist and your daughter is like... I mean, your daughter's also feminist, but she went through princess stages. And yeah, she that, went through princess know? stages. Yeah. She's do whatever that she wants. Yeah. Within reasons. Yeah, so yeah. I have to be the boundary for her yeah. until that she becomes an adult. So yeah. um, the only thing I can do now is just giving her options and guidance and tell her, you know, reasons and consequences yeah, of yeah. the certain decisions that she made. Yeah. But coming back to religion, this is a discussion that I had a couple of years ago with my husband because like it like just to say that I'm I'm a very atheist person I, like I'm not without faith I have faith but I'm not in into any particular region mm. and my husband is terribly science-based evidence-based person so mm. he doesn't follow anything yeah my parents-in-law I think my mother-in-law's she she goes to church when they were younger but right. they're not totally like very devoted uh-huh Anyway, so it happens to um, to be that uh, there's a discussion that we had a couple of years ago. What if our kids, one of our child grows up and say that they want to, con- not convert, as in, you know, start following uh-huh. a religion uh-huh. or choose to study theology? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That would be so strange. <laughs> it would be really strange. Because we could, like, our children's household is very, we, we don't, we hardly talk about religion at all. Mm, we mm. talk about political uh, social science, yeah, everything, social justice and things like that, world news, world politics, but we hardly talk about religion. And I think our kids get a sense from their father knowing that this is not the area to talk about it because mm. once it started, my husband will have so much to say yeah, and he that. will throw you a lot of evidence yeah. that why religion is not good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a very well-written book. She's mm-hmm. quite funny, so uh, I, I would recommend that book. Other than that, um, I we saw Under the Tuscan Sun last night, which yeah. I, I saw first for the first time when I was 14 at uh, this girl called Amanda's place in, when I was in year nine. No, oh, wait, nice. April. April. Her name was April, oh. but Amanda was there. Is it like a couple of girls? I was going to say play dates, yeah, but a, you don't call it play dates yeah, at yeah, age 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember loving it when I was 14, and last night we watched it together. Andrew had never seen it before, but mm. um, it's just so romantic. It's such a. It's about a white woman who, like her husband, in the beginning of the film, she gets divorced because her husband's. She, she finds out. She finds out that her husband's cheated on her, and then she uses that money and she goes overseas and on a trip to um, Italy. And then um, during that trip, she fortuitously um, stumbles upon a house and then decides to buy it. And then the story starts there, like her converting this house, trying to find herself again. Um, it's it's like so many of the scenes has Diane Lane caring for her friends. That's what oh, I really okay. love. Like there's, it's a great Sandra O. Oh, it plays um, a friend, Patty. That's right. Yeah, and uh-huh. she's just so wonderful. You know, I freaking love Sandra O. Oh. Um, and it's just such a great movie about sort of female friendship and female love. That's mm-hmm. what I love about it. And like the romance of taking yourself away to a foreign country and like setting up a new life. You Which know, is not it's, easy. It's never no, easy. it's not easy yeah. at all. I and mean, when she doesn't know the language. Um, uh-huh. But I really want to do that in France. Like I would love to just like buy a little house um, in like a village in France, in the middle of France, like Saint-Emile or something. And mm-hmm. like... Um, write my books there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would take a lot of money. 
and time. I have money, yeah. I think. I just, <laughs> I don't know how I'll do that. I think it'll be terribly lonely. I don't know. Well, how... you have to start everything, you know, from beginning, like making friends. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I can yeah. do that because, like, I just like feel like right now I'm in a great place. Like my family are here, my friends <laughs> are in, in Sydney. Your comfort zone. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever want to leave Sydney just because my closest family and friends are here in Sydney. Like, it just feels like so stupid to to walk away from all that richness, mm-hmm. you know. And and what makes my life great are my family and friends. So. To walk away from that deliberately in pursuit of what exactly? I don't know. Oh, you changed so much. I think the past eighteen months or so. <laughs> really? Yeah, because you used to say that how much you want to move to US. Yeah, I still yeah. want to do that. I still, I still probably will end up in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this week I uh, went to for the first time in like almost sixteen months. Finally got back to the cinemas. The cinemas. Yeah. yeah. What did you watch? Um. So we took our daughter to see Cruella, the prequel of. 101 Dalmatian, the yeah. Disney production. I saw the trailer before that we went in to see the movie. Uh-huh. So I thought that, oh, I have to see this because uh, I loved Emma Thompson. Yeah, and Emma yeah. Stone. And Emma Stone, yeah. yeah. So it's two they're generation of Emmas. Emmas, yeah, they're both in the film. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually, it's just a synopsis is that how Cruella becomes Cruella in 101 Dalmatian. And it's a very... I don't know. Is it actually like a turn for changing the perspective from the villain, anti-villain, or anti not anti-hero? Anti-heroine. Is it anti-heroine? Anti-hero. I yeah. I don't know. Well, anyway, because it tells how Cruella becomes Cruella uh, in the prequel, and you actually see the background what had turned her into that kind of villain. Right. The result of One Hundred Dalmatian has come from this prequel as in the build up and her the history of Cruella turn her into that kind of character. Yeah. 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 So she doesn't you know, a lot of villain doesn't start like that at the very beginning. Yeah. It actually really make you think uh, who controls the narratives of creations yeah. of villains because it's quite similar to one of the ad I've seen from The Guardian. Mm. Because you, with a news source, you have to see it from different perspectives. Sometimes mm. it's only coming out from one source. You might only hear the words from the perpetrator. You might only hear the words from the victim. You're only yeah. getting the one side of the story. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this prequel is very similar. You see a different perspective. It totally changes your mind about a particular character. And I really loved how they connect this prequel to the actual 101 Dimension. Yeah, when was the last time you saw that, by the way? Uh, which one? The 101 yeah. Dimension? Years ago. Yeah, I think I saw... More than 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I, I must have seen the animated version maybe when I was like 7 or 8. And the, the real life action, version... With a Glenn with, Close. Yeah, Glenn Close and Bill... Um, not Bill. What's his name from Dumb and Dumber? Uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Jeff Daniels. And the woman I think might have even been... Um, no, Liam Neeson's up. wife. Oh, okay. Was it Natasha Richardson? I forget. Anyway, yeah, so I saw that maybe only 20 years ago, so that's more <laughs> 20 recent. Years ago, yeah. yeah, but I, I remember um, the villain, um, Glenn Close, yeah, the villain Cruella, she is like a very nasty old mm. single woman with like a fetish, obsessive love for fur. fur. Yeah, yeah. So what is, the, what is the story that they give her? What, did she go through a trauma or something? 
Yeah, she's gone through. I don't want to give away too much because oh, I, I really, know. I really want everyone to, to watch, watch it. it. Okay. Yeah, so okay. who directed it? Was uh, it a woman? No, I think it was a guy's name that I saw at the end. I can okay. never remember the like the production crew's name, um, but I found it quite interesting the way that they have set out. Well, Emma Thompson plays the villain in this movie, uh-huh, so uh-huh. it's so good to see her on the different side mm-hmm. of you know the usual narratives that she upholds. You know, the yeah, good, good side. So the director is a guy called Craig Gillespie, who's mm-hmm. Australian slash American. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I've never heard of him. I, I think he did directed this pretty well. Yeah. And the writers' um, screenplay was written by Tony McNamara, Aline Al- Brosh McKenna, Kelly Di- Dana Steve. So like half men, half women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this film's got all the elements and aspects that I like. Uh, a lot of woman dialogue a lot of dogs and a lot of dogs <laughs> well there wasn't a lot of dogs oh, there okay. were dogs okay. and there were not there were there were no dogs harmed in the film and uh-huh. so you as in, oh, you don't okay. see any dog get killed or murdered which yeah. is good which you would expect that because the you know the narratives that you always think that oh Cruella she's gonna kill the dogs and yeah you make them into codes but in which that you will find out in this film that she doesn't Right. That's okay. just something that people or later yeah. that the narratives will create yeah, to exactly. make her look like a villain. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I really like that. I yeah. really like that. And I, after I watched this film, I keep thinking that, oh, okay, yeah, there has been historically a lot of films that created a female character who are middle-aged, yeah. uh, single, childless, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Something wrong with them. Something wrong with them, yeah. and they've been They're created crazy. as an yeah. evil character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's um, terrible. In so- society, Fighting, doesn't yeah. know how to comprehend women who are not married or have children. Yeah, seriously. So if they're so out of the norm, they have to. Yeah, they, they have, have to, to exaggerate them. their. Yeah, they have to pathologize them in their, their yeah, behaviors. Make, yeah, yeah, and make them something like um, exaggerate their kind of push them out even further. That's right. Like put yeah. some sort of condition on them. Oh, she must be obsessed with dogs and kills them. She must be what's another villain? Catwoman. Oh, oh Catwoman, the, yeah. Um, cat lady. Sometimes you know people say that. Yeah, oh, exactly. the neighborhood is an old lady with cats. Yeah, I my dream, not my, not my dream, but um, <laughs> I mean, I would like to grow old with a partner. But uh, but like, um, I would love to just like go to bed every night with cats around me. They're so beautiful. I know. Or dogs. dogs. Yeah, For exactly. For me, will be dogs. Yeah. yeah For me, it will be cats. <laughs> okay, uh, let's take a break and we'll be right back to talk about casual sex. <laughs> You've got dogs around yeah, you Yeah, I've got boxes, dogs around me. Um, so this week, I, um, I wanted to talk about this uh, new uh, research Study. that has come out about casual sex and how it's still being um, un- sort of very discriminatorily judged when women practice casual mm-hmm. sex. Like, I think we all kind of still know that there is this underlying pervasive um, hidden judgment of women who do openly, openly, I have to say, like mm-hmm. announce that they casually sleep yeah. around. And so this study was done by um, uh, some academics in uh, Oklahoma University and Arizona State University. And basically they were saying, they found that 
although casual sex is increasingly socially acceptable, Mm -hmm. negative stereotypes towards women who pursue casual sex remain pervasive. So, for example, they looked at um, tropes in television and film and other media in, and in the way that women who engage in casual sex have low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the study involved like six experiments with U.S. adults. Like I think there were um, just under 2,000 people who were surveyed and they found that both men and women, women stereo, still stereotype women who engage in casual sex and still they still think that they have low self-esteem. Um, I think also that um, I, my goal is that um, my, I can spend my life doing whatever I want um, in the way that a man does and not be judged like differently. As critically. Yeah, but yeah. I think the, the reality is remains that if you're a woman and you have a lot of sex, it's not the same as a guy having a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. There's something about this study that I thought was interesting is that they study what you asking you whether or not that you still have a judgmental thought about people a woman specifically yeah. have a lot of sex. Whereas yeah. the conclusion is that yes, there's a, still a lot of people that um, obtain that thought, and it's got a lot to do with how social norms has still been very maintained and unchanged in the past decades and also how the media entertainment portrays women have a lot of sex Mm. the characteristics that is shown on the screen or out in the media and do use the word promiscuous or even sluts yeah those kind of slurs to describe a woman who have casual sex Basically, if you just have to make the decision yourself and they both consent to sex, there's nothing wrong and yeah. there's no harm done to anyone yeah. about consent sex. And they get judged more compared to a man who goes around and picks up woman yeah. having non-consent sex, you know, essentially. Oh, rape. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I have two things to say. Firstly is that... um. Um, Peggy Orenstein talks about this in her book Sex and Boys or Boys and Sex how um, when a teenage boy comes into his show as a man you know mm-hmm. um, if he is a cis man um, uh, a lot of a straight cis man a lot of what he, a lot of what he feels about himself he's gained his sense of masculinity is so intrinsically tied with how many women he sleeps with like mm-hmm. conquests like how many women he sleeps with is really tied in with like your masculinity in mm-hmm. a way that it's not with femininity like um um girls it's actually the opposite so a girl to become like more fully feminine is like mm-hmm. you preserve your virginity you preserve your vagina for only a few you know the, it's like the more you let men in the more like slutty and um sort of um mm-hmm. nefariously judged you are by the greater society so that's my first point the second point is um i keep thinking about this um, article that i wrote it hasn't been published yet so i don't know if it will but i i was asked to write it for smh um about the dead woman trope mm-hmm. um and helen yep. i've talked to helen about this so um it's in relation to the, the, the show mayor of east town which has just finished the um, seventh season clocked the seventh show clocked off on monday night and it was absolutely riveting um and uh i won't give any spoilers here because i want to actually dedicate a whole episode to talking about mayor of east town um, but basically there's this still pervasive trope within 
the wider mainstream media and uh, in our, a lot of our cultural shows where like a, a young woman who does engage in sex is somehow punished and often she ends up dead mm-hmm. so like um so just like drawing back from you know decades ago uh, you've got twin peaks with laura palmer who eventually found out that she was like a prostitute or had sex a lot of sex secretly and then you have scsi shows where a lot of the prostitutes ended up dead Mm -hmm. um you had the undoing um where the character of elena she has an affair with um Hugh Grant's character she's like violently bashed in the head for like basically seeking more in that sexual relationship um and then in the un- and then in Mayor of Easttown uh the last episode was very gripping but it was very very problematic in the message that it basically was sending um and the woman who was killed um there Erin McMillan she was also it found it's also transpired at the end of the la- of the show that she had been sleeping with a much older man and you know so she's punished um by being being killed off so it's like Mm -hmm. these little ways in which shows Mm -hmm. like really massive shows created by massive broadcasting networks in america which have so much cultural power they're basically like putting in some small messages about kind of warning young girls if you have a lot of sex Mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen the consequences that you'll face exactly you're you're going to end up dead basically Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's done to comes down to how society treats women still like a property and objectifying our body as just something that cis men can trample over. Yeah. And in the way that they still preserve an ideology of women should maintain their virginity for pureness or just for the sake of your safety is just totally fucked. Honestly, I think it's just like a, a trope that is telling woman or maybe young girls that you need to be obedient yeah. you need to yeah. be a pure naive self that you shouldn't let anyone to touch you but whereas the society goes out to tell men that you should go and sleep as more you know as many women as you can it's just it's not equal you know yeah. it's, yeah. it's discriminative and there's nothing wrong with your choice about who you sleep with as long as, again, I, am I saying that as long as consent sex. Yeah. The society judge more on the woman yeah. who chooses to have casual sex. Yeah. And they don't judge the man. Like, uh, there's a term in Taiwan that we call it zanan. A fuckboy. That's why I, that's the term that I was thinking. Right, fuckboy. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And fuckboy doesn't get as more, much criticised. Yeah. Know? But it, whichever way that, you know, the society sees woman or young woman, um, is that whether or not that you have a lot of sex or you're pure as a virgin, you get criticized. Criticized, yeah, and judged. exactly. Like, no matter all what, your experience what, or yeah. like, oh, you slept with a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Exactly. <laughs> it's exhausting. Well, we know uh, here at um, Asian Bitches Down Under, there is no proper way of being a woman because <laughs> yeah. we live in a patriarchal world. Fuck. And yeah. that was Jake, who was making a lot of noise. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, ostensibly that was what my novel, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous mm-hmm. Thing, initially was trying, trying to tackle. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a few years ago, I was struggling with like my self-esteem. And when you don't feel good about yourself, I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but speaking personally, I felt undesirable. And the sort of most expedient way for me to feel desirable is to have sex with men. And when I did that a lot, I remember at one point asking some close male friends um what they thought about like 
would, would if, if a woman slept a lot, um, would she still be marriage material? Because I still wanted to get married oh, did one you day. Ask yeah. Someone, what did and they, they say? said, no, actually, the truth is, I would think less of her. And I was like, that's fucked up. How many, how many people did you ask? Two, two men. Okay, then what anyway. kind of men are they? Are they assholes? No, they're, they're actually nice, but oh. they were being honest with me, so I okay. appreciated that. But then I was like, that's really fucked up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and so, like, I wanted to write a story about what happens when a woman has a lot of sex mm-hmm. and then how society judges her, you know? Mm-hmm. Because the one way to see how you are judged or a person you want to see judged in society is to write a, write her onto the book and mm-hmm. then see how people judge her and how and, they react yeah and overwhelmingly people have said Jenna Lin my central character is a, is like an unlikable character mm-hmm. which is so telling because it means that it reflects the whole yeah, society yeah exactly it yeah. tells you what they think of me mm-hmm. or like I'm not actually Jenna Lin but like just a woman who takes her own life into her own hands yeah. um, is according to society an unlikable human being yeah i think uh, from the female perspective a lot of women that feels i don't know how other people feel but i certainly have seen um women who will talk about other women who has a lot of sex i think they feel like that's threatening to their own relationship with their own right. male partner right yeah there's a turn in taiwanese lu cha biao is like a single female yeah who is always acting or behaves cute and yeah. very feminine around yeah. males. Yeah, yeah. And some people feel like Threat- particularly yeah. females particularly feel that they are threatened because that that person, yeah. that woman might approach their own yeah. partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's a female competition thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's always like females against females. It's like it's like not the man's fault you know like often women get blamed for the affair it's like you lured my husband uh your husband is a full thing it's also like really um it's also like very insulting for men like it's basically (laughs) saying like a man can't make his own choices like it's taking away responsibility off of him yeah no let's make men accountable for their own actions they should be accountable for their own actions yeah exactly wow yeah that's all I wanted to say about that oh, okay. casual sex. I think yeah. the creation of the fear and shame that is trying to ostracize the woman. Yeah. You know, like push that group of women further away and then um, somehow that she could not be, you know, socialized within the usual social groups. That's what this kind of ideology is trying to create. Yeah, yeah. And demonize essentially demonize yeah. the people who chooses to have casual sex yeah yeah if the harm doesn't happen to you why should you care if it's not you exactly why should you have the reasons to judge on other people yeah 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 yeah, yeah. anything else that you want to add my throat is like <laughs> sore so i'm gonna get some water <laughs> okay all right um so i'll continue our episode with uh in conjunction of this month the prime month i don't know if it's in australia or the globally so june is the prime month here in australia um i've looked up or actually came across in the discussion on a Chinese forum found out there's actually a god in taiwan and there's a temple in taiwan called god of rabbit it's essentially are for homosexuals Interestingly, I found a couple of sources and translated into English. 
Um, so there is a temple that is dedicated to God of Rabbit in northern Taiwan in the new Taipei city. The temple Wei Ming Tang was established in 2006. Uh, the monk, or would you call the priest? Yeah, probably the priest. Mr. Lu Wei Min uh, pitied that most religions around the world are often unfriendly and condemning the homosexuality. For most of the LGBTIQ plus community found it difficult to sort their comfort through religion, faith, and almost impossible to find faith that is truly care about them. So there's actually a story behind this. According to Yuan Mei's record of Zibu Yu, uh, which is not really important, basically it's like a historical database in China. In early Qin dynasty, a young man who was newly appointed to be the inspector of the region of Fujian, which is southeast of China, and a local man named Hu Tianbao, who admires this new uh, and young, handsome inspector's beauty. So whenever the, uh, there's a session of trial happening at the court, Hu Tianbao would visit and observe the inspector. After some time, the inspector has started to feel the strangeness of being followed and perved constantly. Eventually, one day, the inspector called Hu Tianbao, peeping him from outside of the toilet. Mm. The inspector questioned uh, Hu's intention and forced him to tell him why he had done such a thing of uh, peeping him from outside of the toilet. The inspector questioned his intention and forced him to tell uh, why he had done such a thing. Initially, Hu Tianbao maintained his silence until that the inspector had threatened him with violence and physical punishment. And he finally said, okay, so I'm quoting from the book. Uh, I'm not quite sure if my translation is totally Don't correct. doubt it, just do it. <laughs> but I think it's quite actually quite poetic. Uh, so Hu Tianbao said, because of you, sir, your beauty that I cannot forget, even so that I know the birds from the earth cannot rest on the jade tree of the heaven which is describing the inspector as a jade tree. Mm -hmm. But I was obsessed with my desire and unconsciously down the improper action. That, that's so poetic, as in describing himself as a bird on the earth that he couldn't rest on the a tree on the heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's nice. Um, unfortunately, the inspector was furious and sentenced Hu Tianbao to death by beating. Jesus. Uh, after his death, Hu Tianbao appeared in the local citizen's dream one night. He told them, My inappropriate and most rudely behavior has insulted the respectable uh, inspector. But it was for me right it was right for me to die. But because of my love through stu stupidity, I was different from the criminals that had intended harm of other people. Um, the officials down here in the hell laughed at me and they they teased me but was not angry with my actions. So they have they have given me a, a position as god of rabbit to deal with the homosexuals' lives on earth. So you may erect a temple to welcome people with a need to come and see me. Mm. So that's how eventually that the locals starting to build a temple around uh, the area for god of rabbit. Oh, wow. So there's actually an old tradition in Fujian to pay someone to be your brother, as in establish a brotherhood. Um, when those followers have heard such gossip about God of Rabbit, they were eager to raise money to erect the temple. And since that the locals have complimented how uh, greatly that the praying the God of Rabbit had helped them, um, 
eventually by word of mouth those who are in who are not in heterosexual relationship or in the relationship that were not deemed out of mainstream mm. they would go to the temple and pray for the guidance from the god of rabbits mm. yeah it is actually un- quite unsure why rabbit mm. it's probably because they have a lot of sex so they breed a lot right is that why i'm a rabbit <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Jesse's Chinese yeah zodiac, zodiac size rabbit well, because you were rabbit, born in yeah eighty seven. Yeah, well, yeah. like um, yeah, I I think um I I was always like rabbit has no personality. They're just cute. That's all. They have a lot of sex. They breed. Is that well? I'm not gonna. I don't have any intention of breeding. What kind of stupid but trait is that? You have a lot that? of sex. That's no, no. Well, that's a stupid trait. <laughs> Okay, it so doesn't make the world a better place unless I like <laughs> make a lot of babies. But a goal of rabbit is good, you know. They give like homosexuals, like LGBTQI plus community, a place. Yeah, yeah. To pray on. I and, think that's great. Yeah, and apparently because God of Rabbit, that he is very, he insists of his worshiping materials to be like beauty products. Yeah, <laughs> which I like is that. Quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people will bring like shampoo, conditioners, and skincare and cosmetics. Yeah, you know, instead of the um, usual meat produce where we do our ancestors, yeah. ancestor worshiping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. So anything else? No, I can't wait to go pick up. <laughs> Okay. Do so. the school pickup for my niece. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. If you have enjoyed our show, please please give us a five star rating and share with your friends. Asian bitches down under welcome listeners to support our show through ACAST support assistant. Your donation will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. So that's it for today. Uh, we'll t- chat to you next time. Yeah. See you guys. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.